Welcome to the Business Gorillas Podcast, where the biggest, baddest, and most fearless business owners pull the curtains back and reveal their most tightly guarded secrets and strategies. With your host, serial entrepreneur and marketing visionary, Josh Rosenberg. Buckle up. It's time to get started. What's going on uh, today? My guest is somebody that I'm really, really, really excited about. It's not often that you get to talk to somebody who you know is a legend in the making. That's somebody that in the future, they'll probably put him on the Mount Rushmore. But that's who I've got for you right now. And you're going to love this. So Kenneth Yu has succeeded in both classical and digital direct response marketing. A lot of people these days are call themselves specialists without really knowing big picture what they're actually doing. But Kenneth is the complete and total opposite of all that. He's the accidental founder of the write your own damn paycheck movement, or sorry, write your own damn check movement. Uh, He teaches entrepreneurial driven financial independence uh, through multiple channels of persuasion, personal growth, and strategic thinking. Uh, Kenneth Yu is obsessed with telling stories that help to separate people with their money. And come on, that's what we're all here for. Uh, he expresses these by helping large corporate corporations, such as like McDonald's, Fujitsu, Zurich Insurance, um, with match- massive cultural transformation. Like He helps these big dudes move in big, big ways. And he also does that with a lot of smaller direct response businesses. So he runs the full gamut. Um, he, he works as a consultant and advisor to companies of all different shapes and sizes and different goals, which is awesome because now he's giving you a large summary of different perspectives. Um, recently, he's used his skills to create two, two ClickBank Platinum winners just within a matter of months of one another including the current number one in his category. He's leveraged his unique ability into becoming a mentor and advisor to Silicon Valley. Um, A lot of startups, including 500 startups, which is one of the most renowned incubators in the world. So if you don't know what that means, when brand new startups are just getting going, uh, a lot of times they don't have the money and the means and the resources to really do everything that they envisioned. So they go to these incubator companies to seek that out and to get the advice. And well, Kenneth is one of those renowned advisors. Uh, Along the way, he's won the World Marketing Congress, top 50 global digital marketing leaders, the World Brand Congress, most influential digital marketing leader, Cannes Lion, London International, DNAD, numerous other accolades. I could go on and on and on, uh, but for the sake of not giving him too big of an ego, I think that's good enough for right now. So, Kenneth, how are you, man? Thank you for being here. I am good, and thank you so much for such a glowing introduction. Of course, of course, man. When I've got somebody with your resume, it's kind of impossible for me not to. So, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, with that, uh, would you mind just letting us know a little bit about your company, what the name is, what the, the goal is, how it helps people? Okay, so I have two companies. Uh, the first one is WYODC, which stands for Write Your Own Damn Check. Uh, it's a movement and it's an info publishing company where I teach people persuasion, uh, copywriting, business skills. Like it, It's like my playground. So basically, I like to teach 
I like to, to, to basically teach my frameworks and that has gotten so much traction recently. I'm not, I think you probably know, George, like, you know, the top people in the industry have been buying the programs. Uh, I've been compared to, you know, God knows what legends and everything. I mean, my brain has been studied. Uh, people have been writing books over my teachings. People have been writing poetry over my teachings. Someone wrote a folk tale recently <laughs> using my teachings. So, so it's quite amazing to, to see that um, in WYODC. And then I have another company called Spurpress. S-P-U-R-P-R-E-S-S. Uh, Spurpress started off as a corporate digital agency. So that's when, you know, I cut my teeth on clients like McDonald's, Fujitsu, all these big billion dollar brands. Like my average client value was in the billion dollars. We were a corporate digital agency. Uh, we did quite well for ourselves. But uh, the, the thing about the, the, the agency world is that it's really brutal and it, it gets disrupted all the time. So I cashed out that part of the company. Uh, kept the name Swerpress, and now it's launching its own uh, info products and supplement products based on direct response. Uh, so, so in a sense, we, we transition over into a direct response uh, offer company for that one. So those are my two main ventures right now. That's awesome. And I know um, when you're operating by yourself or you've got a small team, something that you're leading that you've got a lot of flexibility, you can turn and pivot on a dime. If you see that trends are going yep. in one direction, you can shift and make those changes within a matter of hours or, or days, depending on what it is. But when you're dealing with the large corporates, you need weeks, months, sometimes years to make changes. I remember back in my agency days where I was working um, for this ad agency, we were representing um, Snapple, the, the iced tea company, oh, yeah. and they're just their database that was keeping up with where their uh, customers were. And, and they, you know, you find Snapple in every deli, supermarket, everywhere, right? Yep. They have a database yep. of all of this. That database was about 15 years old. They were using software that was 15 years out of date because yes. the cost and the time to update. Now, this is, I think, around 2004. So they're yep. using software from uh, the mid-90s. If they were going no. to try and catch up, they would have to plan for the 2008, whatever that release of that software would be to make that transition happen. So, yep. you know, there's a large, large, large time delay. Um, and with that, I would like to know in your experience, when you have an idea for some kind of a campaign or a push or something that you want to do for one of these larger brands, from the time you go from conception and coming up with this idea, seeing where the market is currently to the time it actually gets executed and you see it out there in the world, how much time does that usually take? It depends from company to company because some companies, uh, their collateral needs to be approved by global. So, mm -hmm. so you know, in Malaysia, then it goes to Asia and then from Asia, it goes to America and then from America it goes to the global. So in that case, it probably takes you three months or something to, to get your campaign running, which you know it's it's you know by the time you it's out, it's outdated. But I've been fortunate to work with a lot of companies where their their approval process there is just one layer or two layers. So it's just the whoever the the middle person is, the manager, and then the decision maker, and then it runs in a matter of days. So there are some companies that do pride themselves on being a little bit more agile. 
Sure. And but it really depends on leader to leader. I find that it's not a consistent thing. It's it's really dependent on who like the managing directors or who the country directors and how dynamic they are and how willing they're they're willing to push back global. Like I had a regional client. Uh, basically, it's the oldest soy sauce brand in the world. So you probably know soy sauce. It's a seven generation company or something like. <laughs> it's a seven generation family company. That's remarkable, right? Um, world's biggest global uh, soy sauce brand, and we had the entire Southeast Asia region. That means we had, we operated in six countries uh, for that uh, one brand, and everything was just so fast because um, the managing director liked us, vouched for us, and she personally spearheaded every single marketing initiative. But that is a dream client that doesn't come often. So the ratio is about 80-20. You have you know 20% dream and 80% are just either neutral or nightmare. Sure, sure. And something I'll talk about briefly for um, smaller agency owners. A lot of times you're going to see that um, there might be an agency you've never heard of that's only a a few people, but they'll have clients such as McDonald's or Nike or Coca-Cola. And you're wondering, how the hell do these small guys get these massive dream clients? Well, if you're, you know, a Coca-Cola or McDonald's or whatnot, you're going to legally, you're bound to have to work with ad agencies of a certain size, usually publicly traded companies, the J. Walter Thompson's, yep. Young Rube Camps, WPPs. Yep. You know, there, there's a lot of legality that goes behind that. Well, a lot of times then they will also have these smaller sort of uh, regional campaigns that you can work with whoever you want. So if let's just say there's some, I don't know, a sporting event coming up, a college football game, let's say, and Coca-Cola wants to come out during halftime and shoot T-shirts out of their T-shirt can into the crowd and they want to have their banners up there. Well, for that, you, they can work with a smaller agency. And so what happens yeah, is, is these agency owners will call up Coca-Cola or whoever runs their marketing. Usually it's a large department and say, how do I get on your RFP list? An RFP just stands for a request for a proposal. And it's just like any other list. Yeah. So when Coca-Cola goes out and says, hey, we're going to be in this yep. city and we need to do, we need a, a local company to help us fire these teachers out of this cannon. They're going to send that out to their entire RFP list. And anyone that meets those qualifications that's in that region that can fulfill those needs will respond and send them a proposal. Coca-Cola then says, okay, great. We found our team. They're going to hire them. And as a result, now you have these smaller companies that are able to brag for the rest of eternity that Coca-Cola is one of their clients. So while you may not get their business globally, it is not that difficult to get your foot in the door and run something small that you can now have a giant, you know, uh, client on your, your portfolio, um, which is really good for small owners. Um, But anyway, let's take a step back. Yes. Not everybody, and very, very, very few people, the first venture they do or the first venture they set out to do is successful. That's very rare. Um, I could yeah. only name a handful of people that the first thing they ever did was a home run and they never looked back. Um, tell us, what was the very first entrepreneurial venture that you sat out or set out to do and whatever happened with that? Okay, so... So I was one of those that started off as a home run and then uh, flunked along the way. So, uh, let's hear it. So, I, so, so what happened was uh, I used to work for Mind Valley. So 
so that was about maybe 14 years ago. I was the original copy chief for Mind Valley. Uh, Mind Valley, for those who don't know, is the, the number one personal development uh, marketing, basically, marketing agency slash product owner in the world, pretty much. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, even if you don't know their name directly, you've been exposed to their their content, their programs over and over and over throughout the years. Yeah, yeah, you you will have, and it's it's a massive company. Um, so I was their first copy chief. I doubled their revenues in one year. They didn't have funnels then. They didn't really have email marketing. So I was basically ground zero for Mind Valley. So all the marketing funnels, the email marketing, it came from me uh, during that time. So. So my wife and I were, were was were working there, and then we we sort of left for for whatever reason, and and basically when we quit Mind Valley, it was two months before our wedding, uh, and we didn't have much money to pay for it, so we we actually did a mass control slash uh, Franken mass control slash Jeff Walker kind of launch for our wedding. We actually sold the first ever Twitter marketing product on the market. And the second ever email copywriting product on the market. So we, so after launching it, uh, we broke even in five minutes, made money in half an hour. It became a six-figure business in three months. Um, wow, wow yeah. that's and and especially was, when you're going out on your own, you don't have a list, you don't have um, uh, really buyers lined up for you to go out and to create sales that quickly is phenomenal. That that's very very rare. Yeah, I think I I just knew how to make friends. So I mean, one you have the Mind Valley reputation by then. You know, I you know when you work for Mind Valley, there is a certain level of respect the community has. Actually, a lot more respect now. But even then, there was a little bit of respect. And I made friends. You know, with the Perry Belchers of the world, the Mark Joiners of the world, Drayton Bird, and all these other people. And I leveraged that that connection. Uh, either for testimonials, and it, they freely gave me testimonials, or to actually promote my product to their list, and and that is why we we you know the product launched it uh, phenomenally well. I had zero lists, and it was a couple of thousand. I think we had five thousand people by the end of that launch, um, and I didn't know anything beyond the copywriting side. But what was really interesting was how quickly, you know, my name suddenly started uh, becoming mainstream. That was about 13, 14 years ago. So uh, Paula Abdul's people actually came to me to look for social media. Yeah, Brian Tracy's people. You had Tracy McGrady from the NBA. Like his team actually came uh, looking for me and, and all those things. So it's sort of really successful. But the problem, right, is the problem with overnight success is you think it's you. <laughs> so, you you don't attribute enough to luck or God's grace or, or whatever it is, an external factor. Like we realize that a lot of entrepreneurship is actually external, like it's actually luck, like pretty much right time, right place. And we keep trying and then that hits. And but you don't always hit. And what we realize is I didn't know things like product life cycle. Like your product can only be. Uh, done like it's on, it's only uh, valid for a certain time, and I was very lost because uh, my business vision and mission was fund the wedding. There was no overarching purpose. There was no plan B. <laughs> so, so that business actually died really quickly. Uh, so within six months, we were already in the red. Like we sort of 
like this and but before the business died i mean your goal was to have other people pay for your wedding and you succeeded yeah pretty much yes i succeeded that <laughs> Unlike a lot of uh, companies, you know, you were mentioning some uh, soy sauce company with that seven generations. And I know Nintendo, which now does was the biggest uh, video game yeah. uh, manufacturer in the world. They start off uh, gambling, playing cards, casino chips and stuff. They were over 150 years. They had a long term mm-hmm. vision to be in gaming for over 100 years. Soy sauce company had a vision yeah. of being in the sauce business for 100 years. Your vision was a couple of months. Yeah. So. You know, I the same it just died out. <laughs> yeah, but you succeeded in your goal, which yes, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. And and what you were saying a moment ago about you know having hitting something right out of the park, you're absolutely right. A lot of times you're making money in spite of yourself. One of the, my first ventures no. was in my uh, sex education business. And I'd spent over a year forging relationships with everybody in the, the dating and, uh, community. So when I was ready yeah. to launch, I had all these dating coaches promote me to their list. The offer sold phenomenally well. We did, I don't know, about $75,000 within the first uh, 12 hours or so, which at the time Whoa. was just unheard of. And I thought it was me. Oh, no, yeah. because I had spent all this time building these relationships. And I also, I had an offer that went hand in hand. You know, they're teaching you how to get a girlfriend or how to get a girl to come back to your place. And I was teaching how to get her to come back for more because we were improving your abilities in bed. So I got a big head for sure. And uh, it sounds like you kind of were the same way at first. And it took you a little bit of time to kind of come back down to to earth. Um, With that, with your first business, which was both a successful one and then also it died, uh, to where you are now, how many other ventures, or can you think of other ventures that you did that maybe they weren't super successful, but the lessons you learned brought you up to where you are now? Do you have uh, any of those stories? I actually do. So a few years ago, I started a, a Christian dropshipping company. Uh, so it was uh, dropshipping for Christian themed shoes. So they were sneakers that were crazy Christian theme and they were caught fire immediately. Like I had people like from James Earl Jones office and Kevin Harrington and all those within the first wow. two, three months, they were like, we want to, to do something with you. Obviously they want to get paid, but you know, sure, to sure. get that kind of traction really fast. was And, and for them to come really to you good. versus you hiring someone to go out and try to get them, there's a big difference there. Yeah. I realized a lot of things, right? In, in life, right? It's... It's one, figuring out timing. That's the first thing. I, I, I believe the most uh, important question uh, entrepreneurs should ask is actually when. Not why, not what, not how, but when. Like mm. when's the right time to launch this? Because if it's, if it's on trend, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. And, and number two, be able to command attention in the marketplace because you're doing things differently. Like you're just doing something the market has not seen before. Like no one has seen Christian shoes before. Now they have, now there's Christian sneakers and everything. But I was the first, again, same, I, I had the first Twitter marketing course. And, you know, I had the first uh, Christian sneaker brand. And, and so that gained traction. We made sales immediately. Uh, then I think the mistake I made was to take on a business partner too fast. Sure. Uh, without the strategy, 
to to basically find out why do I want a, a like a, a partner in the first place, who brought the the company to very different directions, and then he dumped me halfway. Like basically, I paid for sixty thousand designs or some not six thousand designs. I paid for like a thousand designs on the store, and then he just cut me off halfway, and then I had to foot the bill for you know that sort of thing no now was this so, business partner uh did you already have a relationship with him was he already a friend before you made a partner or was this something that was based more on strategy alone because you knew that he had something to offer his skill set was something that you would complement yours or how how did uh you decide to make this guy a partner it was strategic at first but they you know he called me every night so, so, so he's persistent. Became, he's persistent, and not that it's uh, it's how he actually builds relationships. I actually learned a lot from that while the business partnership there. I mean, we're still friends, uh, but he's the best networker I feel in the world, and I learned a lot of networking because he he knows presidents. He knows, you know, he brought in like twenty uh, percent of Myanmar GDP by himself. Like he's one of the the biggest G two G government to government guys I know in the world. Wow. Uh, but. But just because you're G2G doesn't mean you're the right partner for something because, you know, there's a specific skill set you need for something like, let's say, a dropshipping business or an online uh, e-commerce business that someone like him may not be able to, to add value to. So I realized that when it comes to business partners, it's not just about the size or success of the business partner. It's sometimes the complementary skill sets that you have. And I think that was the main issue. And of course, you know, he has some... He has crazy ideas. He wanted, he wanted my shoe business to be the next Christian Amazon. <laughs> I mean, because he thinks that big, right? Like, like, you know, he's he's doing infrastructure. He's like buying diamond mines in Africa. Like, <laughs> you know, he's like, why is this too stupid small shoe company doing? Like, let's <laughs> let's sure, go I, here, but it's not, yeah. This is something that I talk a lot about when I, I work um, as a consultant, which is finding the right business yeah. partner. And mistakes most people make is they want to go in business with their best friend. And what happens yeah, is, is you and your best friend are that close because you have, you know, you have a lot in common. A lot of times you'll have the same or very complementary skill sets. So while, no. you know, maybe you're very good at marketing, your best friend is usually going to be pretty good at marketing when the reality yes, is you need a numbers person, for instance, or you need an operations yeah, person. Um, some of the best, uh, partnerships that i've ever seen you know you see people like um penn and teller the magicians yeah or uh the Mythbusters, and i've seen them do a lot of interviews where you yep. know penn and teller were, were celebrating 46 years of being business partners and being successful which is unheard of yeah. so they're on a radio show i forgot which one and the host asked them what their secret was and they said our secret is we're not friends we don't mm. hang out outside yeah. of this you know, we've, we've sent each other holiday cards. And I think they said like, they, they spent Thanksgiving together, their families together once, but they're not friends and they never were. They, they yeah. understand each other's skill sets when it comes, when there's ever a disagreement or a little argument, they defer to whoever's it's more in their wheelhouse. Yeah. And they have that respect that they've never broken. And that allows them to be successful, yeah. um, which is a very, rare concept to, to see a lot of business owners put actually into use. So in your case, you didn't work with 
someone that was your 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 friend from childhood or a buddy of yours. No, you went with somebody that at the time their skill set seemed like they would be the right partner, and well, just coincidentally, it didn't end up working out. But that's no. almost irrelevant because yeah. they, what they bring to the table is something that you probably could never have achieved on your own because you're busy doing other uh, aspects of yeah. the business. So, you know, that that's definitely something that um, you don't usually figure out until your first three, four, five ventures have failed you. And then you can kind of take a step back. <laughs> so for you to be able to do it this quickly, that that's that's very rare. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I just oh, want to yeah, add that. I, yeah, sorry. I just, I was grateful to this partner because he actually helped me reject an acquisition offer that would have been really bad for me. And so, so for whatever reason, I get, I, I attract like really random kind of deals and, and opportunities. So basically the sovereign fund, the technic, the technology Amawa, the sovereign funds, Asian sovereign funds wanted to buy us over, wanted to buy the digital agency over. But his terms were so bad. And I actually gave it to this mentor. This mentor is a deal-making expert. And he was like, this is, this, this is shit. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> So, and it saved me a lot of problems because the, even the person who introduced us this deal ended up not working for this party at all. And, you know, there's legal cases and, and all those things. So, so it just, so even though one business venture failed, he actually prevented further failure. So sometimes you never know, right? So yeah, and that, that could be a huge winner. That could be a huge winner. Yeah. I mean, Imagine um, going to a casino up to the roulette wheel, believing you knew you had a crystal ball that could tell you the future and you knew you were putting all of your money onto that one spot. Yeah. Because you are certain that's what was going to come up. You saw the future, you had a vision of it, you knew it. And at the last second, somebody pulls your hand away and brings you outside of that casino. And it turns out they rolled that ball and it came up somewhere else. You would have lost a ton of of money, but not just that. It's not like the money is just gone in two seconds, like at a casino. In this case, it would have been a lot of time, a lot of energy. Those are things you can't get back. You can never get your time yeah. back. So knowing, yeah. uh, having somebody to look out for you and to stop you from signing a bad deal is sometimes better than someone that can walk you into a good deal. Yeah, that's true. Um, Agreed. So I know you've got a very honed skill set um in what you do in your business what do you think it is that you are able to do that moves the needle more than any other aspect of your business like we can't all run every job for to run a company you know uh and you can't focus on everything you see a lot of shiny objects out there a lot of flash in the pan things people telling you to do these facebook messenger bots or these text messages or these instagram ads or this this you can't tackle everything what is one area that you think in your business moves the needle more than anything else? I mean, there's always several things, but I think the number one thing, right, is actually your ability to network mm. beyond everything else. And not networking in terms of just getting deals, but networking in terms of getting team, being able to hire the right people and put them in the right places. And networking, right? And let me let me let me even make it more even more specific. The thing you should master is what I call weak tie networking. 
weak tie networking. And, and weak tie networking basically means to network with people that are outside your industry and outside your context. Hmm. Uh, the more, the merrier. Absolutely. And the reason for that, yeah, and the reason for that, right, is real value, like actual genuine, massive elevated value. That means the money that you make actually comes from networks that are very different from yours. So let me give you an example, right? Please. We're for all copywriters, you know, we, we hang out as copywriters. It's cool, you know, we have a drink and all those things. But what actual tangible monetary value comes out of it? I mean, beyond, you know, we, we exchange ideas and we exchange uh, tactics and everything, but the deals that come out of it, right, are most probably leftover deals that the other copywriter does not want because they're either too busy or the other client is not, doesn't pay as well. So you get leftovers. In contrast, if you're a copywriter and you go to a medical conference and anybody who has a need for copywriting will look for you. That means you have a monopoly because everybody else does not have your skill set. Sure. And that... Uh uh, uh there, there's a story that i've told a million times yep um a number of years ago probably five or six years ago now i go to my dentist for my my checkup and he tells me i have a cavity that I, he needs to take oh. care of and i was dreading this and he says don't worry it'll take 15 minutes i said doc i i, I know the novocaine takes 15 minutes to setting goes no novocaine i was like oh i'm gonna punch you because you're not feeling a cavity with no novocaine that's gonna hurt he goes don't worry this whole, I, I got this new machine. It uses light to drill open the cavity, oh, nice. to sterilize it, and then to fill it. It's painless. You yeah. don't feel anything. You feel like a tiny little tapping. You hear a little clicking sound, but it uses light. The whole thing is said and done in 15 minutes. You notice nothing. And I said, what the fuck? So he filled the <laughs> cavity and he was right. It was the easiest experience. It was easier than when they uh, are cleaning out your gums. And so I'm asking him about this. And he says he went to a dental conference and the guy that um, created these machines and these are brand new. When he went, he goes, the guy that created it gets on stage and he's presenting it. And while he's presenting, he had a patient in the chair and he was filling the cavity using the machine as he's talking. Now, these are people that are already dentists. They already know this market incredibly rare. Well, so he doesn't need to do a lot of the copywriting tricks of building rapport and storytelling and all of this. Yeah. He can just get right down to brass tacks and telling you the features and benefits. And most of the time they knew the benefits. So he's just showing no. you the features. And he finished filling this, this person's cavity on stage before he was done talking about the different features. And he was leasing these machines out for about uh, $200,000 or so at a time. And he had no. financing. Every single dentist in that room went to the back and signed up to lease one of these machines. This person i don't know if he was just the pitchman. i don't know if he was the the inventor i don't know who he was but this guy on stage made multiple millions of dollars in just a couple of minutes preparing for this and you damn well know know that he worked with some um consultant a marketing consultant a copywriter someone that has a dan kennedy like um stage mm. selling ability yep. he damn well worked with someone like that to get ready for this and that consultant probably made 30% commission or so I would assume of every dollar that was yep. made on that stage because he knew he was going to find this client or this potential client by going to a medical conference and seeking yep. him out 
and he negotiated a very creative deal structure. So, you know, just, it's kind of funny that that's what your go-to was when this is something that I have firsthand experience with. Um, cause I've told that story a million times, but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, when I've sat around with other copywriters, we'll go over our ideas, talk about projects we're working on. And maybe another copywriter gives me an idea that I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of on my own that ends up converting better, you know, and that that's beneficial, no. but that's kind of where the value ends. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, uh, you're probably one of the four or five copywriters I actually regularly talk to. <laughs> really? <laughs> actually, cool. don't. yeah. I mean, other than, you know, my, the community I'm building, which sure. is in a slightly different dynamic with I'm teaching them copywriting, you know, raising sure, up that sure. standard and everything. But, but peer-wise, yeah, I don't actually talk to many. Of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that um, I know I do with every sales letter that I write is um, I always send it out to, to be critiqued. And I know that this yep. is a big thing for people that are just getting started because a lot of times they're unsure of themselves. They don't know what they don't know. And so they want someone to kind of yeah, make sure. sure that they stay on track. But when you get to a higher level, you already know what you're doing. You know how to write something. Uh, but a lot of times you get so close to a project, it's almost very difficult to see yeah, the force of the trees. I have offers that I'm the owner on that I don't do any of the writing on because yeah. you know you want to show every feature and every benefit and you want to talk about everything equally and that's they're not everything's not always going to be equal and it's very hard when you're that close to your project to be able to figure out what that one thing is that needs to be the primary benefit and then what are the yeah. secondary benefits with um a learn to play guitar business that i have the big primary benefit, which, cause I know my customers very well. I know that these are older men, usually over 45 or 50 years old. The kids are out of the house, they yeah. have disposable income. They know that their best days are behind us, them in a lot of ways, but what they want is the opportunity to get together with their buddies, pick up their instrument, jam out. You know, they know they're never going to be at Madison square garden opening, you know, yeah. for the rolling stones or whatnot, but they all have the local bar in you know in their town wherever they live that does that has live music there and they would love to be able to get on stage with their buddies and do some cover songs and you know maybe not have these 19 20 22 year old groupies chasing them down but to have their wife look at them with those same that same look of desire in their eyes so the primary benefit is getting together and having fun with your buddies the secondary benefit is seeing that adoring look in your wife's eyes and yeah. when you're very close to a project, it's very difficult to be able to separate those benefits and speak about them differently. So yeah. when I um, uh, will hire someone to do a copy review, that's a lot of times what I'm looking for. And so as you get to be almost a master of this craft or, or very advanced, that's something you need. You need a network of a few high level copywriters that you can trust their opinion and send your work to them yeah. and let them give you the tough love of telling you tone this down or that shit, or this is fantastic. Let's expand on this more. You know, yeah. that, that becomes invaluable. Um, with that, you know, and, and talking about the things that, that we do at a higher level that yeah. uh, a lot of people don't know about, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. And what is something that really just makes your blood boil? 
something that's scammy that you know that there's charlatans out there that are just trying to make a quick buck that I, I want the listeners to be able to avoid at all costs? I think it doesn't really make my blood boil because what, because you know, with my wife from Africa and everything, we, we encounter injustices all the time. So nothing really, nothing really in the industry makes my blood boil really in comparison to, you know, what oh, sure. crazy civil war is happening. Yeah, but, but what's something that, and... that you see people do that's very scammy that, you know, the listeners should be aware of that if they see this to avoid it? Okay, I think the thing about our industry, especially business education, everything is, and I wouldn't define it as scammy, but it's just a human condition that, that depending on who's the party, um, they either exploit more of it or less of it. And it's something I call salvation syndrome. Uh, salvation syndrome. And what I mean by that is uh, most people uh, don't want to embrace responsibility and they don't want to embrace complexity as well. And therefore, they want an answer outside themselves that is inherently easy and convenient. Meaning that, oh, I tap into that outside power and it gives me almost this salvation or this release or this breakthrough without me doing any work. And, and it's always one savior, you know. I mean, Christianity, or Jesus Christ, uh, you know, in Islam, we Muhammad, etc. So there's always this one savior. And in a, that's actually how the marketing industry works. You're, you're one funnel away from changing your life. You're one, you know, FB ad away from changing your life. And it works really well. If you actually see the success of those uh, promotions and those gurus, they do really, really, really well. You see Why? this all the in, time in the diet yeah. and weight loss space. Yes where nobody yes, wants correct. to have to stick to a, a strict diet for a long period of time. You'll see, yeah. you know, somebody go into work and they pack a salad and they yeah. show it off so that their coworkers can say, Hey, you're looking great. Congratulations on sticking to this. What they don't tell you is that they go home at nine and 11 PM. They're deep throating entire sleeve of Oreos. Um, <laughs> Wendy's. If you ever go into a Wendy's, their lines are not a straight line. They serpentine. They, they go around corners. Why? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is actually something really interesting that I read. So Wendy's mm. likes to show uh, just as many commercials on TV for their salads as they do for their burgers. Because mm. subconsciously, you're convincing yourself that you're, you really want Wendy's. It's convenient. It's easy to get when you're driving home. It's, it's inexpensive. You can eat in the car. You're convincing yourself that if you go to Wendy's, you're going to get the salad. So you can still have the, the tasty like, but you're going to have the healthiest option. And when you go inside yep. and you're serpentining, look at how they're, uh, the pictures on the menu behind the, the registers, look at how they're set up. They alternate burgers to salad. Why? Because in that serpentine line, you're going to be sitting that line longer than if they were straight lines. And you've, yep. you get to the counter and you've convinced yourself all day that you're going to have this salad. By the time you're at the, the register and you're ready to order, your brain basically has told yourself that you've already had the salad and now you're able to treat yourself and reward yourself with a burger. Yeah. Um, when the, the weight loss industry, nobody wants to stick to their diet or their, their exercise program. So what do they do? They want that one magic pill that they take before yeah. bed and in the morning they wake up thinner. Yeah. You know? So yeah, you, you see this all the time. And as copywriters, we're always told, you know, what's that one thing that will change a person's life? Focus on that one thing. 
And reality is, is a lot of times to make significant change, you need to put in significant effort. Yeah. And it's complex as well. Like, and the, the thing is why we have salvation syndrome is because human beings cannot com- cannot focus on more than one thing at a time, right? Like, it's just we have that one savior because everything else is so is too complex. I mean, what what I teach my students is to embrace complexity, portray simplicity. So what you portray yourself to the world is you know that single personal brand, and then you but you you embrace the full complexity of who you are the work that needs to be done, the, even in the business, the systems, the processes, the messiness of it all, you, you embrace that. But to the outside world, they don't need to see that. They just need to see that one thing. Like I'm known as a copywriter, really. Like, but I'm doing a lot more than that. In fact, copywriting is just one of the skills I have. Like I'm a business owner, first and foremost. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, first and foremost. But sure. to the outside world, yeah, I just need a definition. Yeah, yeah, that that's really good uh, lesson to take away that if you're um, out there and a lot of times, especially when you're getting started, uh, there's so many options out there for what kind of direction you can go in. It's it's very easy to get pulled into every direction. And you'll see this a lot of times in, in marketing where maybe you were convinced on Monday that, you know, creating a webinar is the way to go. And then on Tuesday, you'll see an ad that, talks about why webinars are outdated. They don't work anymore. And said, you need a Facebook group. And on Wednesday, you're saying you're hearing how Facebook groups aren't effective. You need to run a discord channel. And on Thursday, you're hearing why you need to build an email list. And each of them makes a good point as to why the other systems are inferior. And they also make a good point as to why all you need to do is this one little thing and you'll be successful. And that's part of marketing. You know, that, that's what we all do. We're all guilty of that. But the reality is, is you need a real effort and to put in real work. So, yeah. you know, definitely be, true. you know, be very wary of anyone that, that tells you you don't need to work and that all you need is this one small thing and your life will be different. Um, yeah. So getting to network with a lot of different people, different business owners, getting to go to a lot of different events, travel and all that. One thing that it's definitely going to introduce you are some crazy stories that you probably never would have experienced something had you had just a normal nine to five office job. Do you have any funny or wild stories that you could share with us that only came about because, you know, you decided to become an entrepreneur? So I, so in my own business, um, not really. I mean, ours is like a part and parcel. Like our Singaporean partner treated the my bank account like his, <laughs> and I realized that he got fired from his previous company that he co-founded. He got fired as a co-founder Oof. because no one could work with him. Um, I mean, that's not very crazy, but the craziest thing was I ended up in the middle of Lithuania two years ago. <laughs> so, you, mean you ended up in the middle of Lithuania. You didn't go to bed one night, <laughs> snug in your bed at home, and then you wake up 3 a.m. to use the restroom and boom, you're in Lithuania. That doesn't happen. <laughs> so let me tell you the story. It's, it's crazy. What happened at camp was uh, pretty uh, insane, or the stories I heard from camp. But it shows you that 
when you stick to entrepreneurship long enough, it does open really random doors. And so I don't know if you know Simon Black. You know Simon Black and the Sovereign Man uh, publishing uh, I, house? I, I know, I've heard of so- Sovereign Man. I, I'm not familiar with Simon, no. Okay, so what happened is Simon, who's the founder of Sovereign Man, uh, started an entrepreneurship camp uh, about 10 years ago okay. uh, called Sovereign Academy. And what happens is uh, Simon actually individually curates the people who come for that camp. So basically, we all have to submit YouTube audition videos. He goes through that 1,000 plus videos every year. He selects about 50 to go to the camp. And it's totally paid for, by the way. Oh, wow. It's, for me, it's totally paid for. So basically, we, we find our own way there, by accommodation, food, everything's taken care of. So, wow. So it's like the it's like the ultimate mastermind because you're not even paying for it. You, you can't even access it. Like it's it's handpicked by one man and his wow. um and his right hand woman, like basically, and his business partner pretty much uh, Victoria. So both of them uh pick 50 entrepreneurs every year for the last um 10 years. And so what happened was two years ago, uh I heard about Sovereign Academy from from various friends and like some people who were part of that group and they said hey uh you should apply for this because you know it's free and you get to meet some cool people like you i got to meet Derek sivers and and craig valentine and you might know some of these names sure. and um so we we submitted our our audition and what was remarkable was um so out of a thousand entries me and my wife on individual entries both got selected on on, an, on individual videos. So that was like a 0.5% chance of it happening. So both people from the same household and you know they didn't know we were married. We got selected uh, individually because my wife's a very sharp entrepreneur as well. Um, and we ended up in this camp. And this camp had, you know, like when you're handpicked, you handpick, you know, certain weirdos. Like, you know, we had a guy who was, who was rowing around naked because because he was like the world is my office Uh, there are a lot of incidents of clothes (laughs) getting set on fire and all those things on the entrepreneurship camp because people were too drunk or too high so so those are things you experience (laughs) yeah yeah a number of years ago i was at um a private mastermind in utah and um somebody was handing out uh some brownies early in the day and uh, so I'm sitting there in the hot tub and I had been there pretty much all day and night, which is not safe to do. But when the brownies started to wear off and I started to, to come to my senses a little bit, I didn't realize it was already dark out. And they had planned that we were going to be having dinner outside with all these um, uh, torches and these uh, fire dancers and these outdoor performers doing, you know, uh, all these crazy things. And everyone uh, was in their bathrobe. I didn't realize that we were, everyone was told go back to your, uh, to the, the, uh, the rooms where everyone was staying. They'd given everybody a bathroom, change into that, come out because, and put on your swimwear because after dinner, everyone's jumping in the lake. I had no idea about this. So finally this brownie starts to wear off and my eyes start to kind of focus. And the last thing I remembered was it was 10 in the morning and now it's pitch black yeah. and you've got 85 people in bathrobes surrounded by torches with fire dancers. And I have no idea what the fuck's going on. <laughs> so yeah 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 you some of these these events 
there's going to be some random wild stuff that happens. That's just, it's a lot of fun to experience. Um, Let's pretend you have a time machine and you can go back to when you first got started with the knowledge that you have now. What, if anything, would you have done differently? I would have done a lot of things differently. And I think the first the first thing I would actually tell myself if I have a time machine is success is finite. Opportunities are limited. When there is an open door, run in and milk it for all it's worth. Sure. So there's yeah, um because I was yeah, sorry. Oh sorry, what? there's been a lot of um studies out there where people have said that they just they don't have opportunities they were never born lucky fortune never finds them and then they study people that you can drop them anywhere in any event in anywhere in the world and they will come out of it with friends and business partners and uh, a date and they people think you're just born lucky well the reality is is some people just know how to spot opportunities and when to capitalize on them and that's a yep. skill that you can learn. That's you're hundred percent right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that if you could go back in time, you probably didn't even realize that you were standing right next to a billion dollars. Yep. And that is true because I was one of the original social media gurus on the internet. I was like one or two, like basically if I continue along that path, um, I wouldn't have taken such a circular kind of direction over the years. I mean, while I achieved success in whatever I did after that, like in the corporate digital marketing space and everything, like I probably would have done really, really, really well in social media just because I was the earliest, because pre-Facebook, I was one of the original Twitter marketing gurus. I could easily jump into Facebook and then, you know, suddenly build an empire. Like I could have been Gary V. Sure. <laughs> uh, I mean... The ultimate story of being able to capitalize on an event, whether you like them or not, the Kardashians. Yeah. Kim Kardashian, her name became famous because she was in a sex tape with Brandy's brother. He was a C or D list celebrity at the time, but because he was somewhat of a celebrity who had a sex tape, now everyone saw her. And can you think of anyone that's capitalized on their tiny little 15 minutes better than her her whole family everyone individually (laughs) is worth billions and it all started off with that one she could have done nothing and you would have forgotten about it no one will remember her name and she would have disappeared and been forgotten about yeah but she capitalized like nobody else and they are one of the richest most powerful families in the world yeah that's true a lot of times people don't even realize how close they really are to becoming billionaires because it's almost impossible to spot the opportunities and be able to capitalize. So yeah, yeah I think you're hundred percent right. If you can go back in time with the set of eyes that you have on you right now, those opportunities you'd see, they were everywhere. Um, yeah. With that, if somebody wants to learn more about you or your business or how they can learn from you, what's the best way for somebody to, to, be able to um, learn more. I think you can join my newsletter. I have a newsletter called Write Your Own Damn Check Confidential. So it's done by, 
basically, I, I teach a lot. So my students actually gather the information, they create a newsletter, and you actually get to know what's in the community and what's in some of the teachings. So that's uh, wyodc.com, uh, writeyourowndamncheck.com. So wyodc.com. Uh, and you just Google WIODC. I have like YouTube channels and Twitter and all those things. And the other thing is uh, a program that I do. It's, it's a five-day free training that I do every few months. And it's called Knights of the Holy Grail. And the, the URL, I think Josh will have the URL. You can actually post it up. Sure. Uh, so, so basically, Knights of the Holy Grail is a five-day training on my Holy Grail uh, copywriting methodology. Uh, and it's a methodology that's been getting traction around the world. I've been getting very heavy hitting partners that actually want to promote it, uh, mainly because it talks about how do we do copywriting to create irresistible offers and how do you stand out in the marketplace when the marketplace is so crowded. I do it as almost like a public service sort of thing. Obviously, it does have an offer at the end, but it's a free five-day thing. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, different feedback usually very favorable feedback around the world. And yeah, so that's how you, that's one of the best ways to learn from the Knights of the Holy Grail. That's awesome. And I, I, I've seen it firsthand. I was exposed to it. Kenneth, you gave me access to it. It is next level shit and beyond. It's absolutely fantastic. And I don't really like to give out a lot of praise and recommendations to people because, well, everyone does that. And most of the time people are just blowing smoke up your ass. So yeah. I try to avoid that. And I try to give my honest opinion. So when I'm telling you that this is fantastic next level stuff, I truly honestly mean it. Uh, Kenneth, thank you so much for being here, spending the time to chat with mm -hmm. us today, man. This has been awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, write your own damn check. Definitely check it out. Um, everything will be in the show notes so you can get the links there. Kenneth, thank you very much. No problem. And to everyone here, W-Y-O-D-C. W-Y-O-D-C. Check it out for sure. Thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast. If you're a highly successful entrepreneur and want to be a guest, go to businessgorillaspodcast.com and fill out the form. Remember to share us on social media. Click the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you got anything out of the show. Feel free to connect with us on social media. If you're looking to connect with world-class top marketers and some of the most experienced fractional chief marketing officers in the world today, head on over to verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. On behalf of your host, Josh Rosenberg, thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast.